0: I can introduce myself. My
1: name is Chris Saladay. I'm on staff with PCF, and one of the things that we do every Friday night is we have um, some teaching from God's Word, and that's what I'm going to bring for us this evening, but um, just a little bit about myself. I was in Wilson College when I was a student here. I I graduated in 1994. Um, I was in Feinberg, so (laughs) (laughs) I guess nobody was in Feinberg here, so Uh, I also ran the track team, the track and field team here, Uh, and then I came back to Princeton in 2002 to serve uh, with PCF, and I'm very grateful for my years here on staff. Uh, Many students find a home and a family here in the PCF community, and if you're new here tonight, I really hope uh, that that will be the case for you and your experience here um, and for those of you who are here for the first time tonight, welcome. We're really glad that you're here and for those of you who have made it back here and have been here before, welcome back. We're glad you're here too and I invite all of you, whether you've this is your first time or you've been here many times, I invite all of you uh, to come back. In fact, let's talk a little bit about the invitations. Um, so there you go, you're invited. Today I went to the activities fair and I was engulfed by hundreds of student groups, each group inviting, appealing, enthusiastically encouraging you to join and get involved in their group. I know when I back in 2002, when I came back to be on staff, I was at the activities fair, this is what 17 years ago, and I, 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 one of the cheerleaders came up from the cheerleading team and ran up to me because I was standing there at the PCF booth. And they said, Hey, do you want to join the cheerleading squad? <laughs> and I said, it's probably not a good idea, and you probably don't want me flipping people around, right? So, um, or, yeah. and so I, I, I declined that invitation. Um, for those of you who are first year students, uh, I know a number of you are here tonight who are first year grad students. Uh, you know, several months ago, you were invited by the university. Uh, you received one of the biggest invitations of your life to date to come here. And for all of you, as you look ahead, whether you're an underclassman student or a grad student, um, you're looking ahead maybe to next summer or beyond college life, and you're wondering about what kinds of invitations am I going to receive from employers or grad schools, right? Um, and here's the point. There are those times in our life when someone or something throws the door open to us. It's a door of opportunity, and we're invited to walk through Invitations come at us all the time, and then when they do, we have to weigh them and eventually decide, are we going to say yes, or are we going to say no? And tonight, I want us to hear and consider the invitation that Jesus Jesus extends to each of us, to you and to me. And so my title for tonight's message is, you can put it up there, Nika, it's the most intimidating, amazing, and beautiful invitation of all time. And I'm going with the spirit of the age here, right? Where you, you know, you've you, you got to come up with a title for something for people to click on. It's like clickbait. Okay, guilty. I did it. Um, <laughs> but for those of you who know me, you know that I'm not prone to exaggeration. So I hope by the end of this message you'll see that this is actually the truth. This is the kind of extent, the invitation that Jesus actually extends, and this is not an exaggeration. So here it is. I want us to consider the invitation that Jesus extends to us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, Um And, you know, when you hear the word gospel, just you know there are four gospels in the Bible um, found in the New Testament, and these four books record the life, the works, and also the teachings of Jesus. So this is what we find recorded here in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. Then he, this is Jesus in the context, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So I want to consider Jesus' invitation. And I want to consider it from three different angles. Number one, angle number one, what exactly is Jesus saying when he issues this invitation? Number two, why should we listen to him? And then third, how do we listen to him? So what, why, and how? So the first angle, what is Jesus saying? And if you're here, I just want to back up a moment and look at the wider context. This, you just heard the invitation, but it's nestled within a story, and it's not a very long story. So I just want to read those verses that surround the story, read the account itself. Okay. So this is backing up in verse 27, in case you're looking at it on your phone or in the Bible. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? So there's Jesus and his disciples. They're doing life together 24-7. And they're going from town to town. And Jesus drops a big question on them. He says, who, you've been around me long enough. You've heard a lot of what people are saying about me. What, or who do you think, who, who, who are they saying that I am? What do they think about me? And then they replied. Some say John the Baptist; others say Elijah; others still, one of the prophets. So a lot of people were looking up to Jesus as a great preacher, a prophet of God, a spokesperson of God. And then Jesus he drops an even bigger question on his disciples, and he asks, "Okay, now what about you? Who do you say I am?" And Peter, he's one of the twelve. He steps forward and he says, "You are the Messiah." And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So there's Peter, one of the disciples. He says to Jesus, I think you're much more than a preacher, more than a spokesperson, more than a prophet. I believe you're the Messiah, or the Christ. Which is, it's a title, meaning anointed one, or unique one sent by God. And when you hear Jesus Christ, it's not his last name, like I am Chris Saladay, right? It's, it would be much better put, Jesus The Christ. It's a a title. It's saying that he is the savior of the world. He is the ruler above all rulers. He's God's special agent. And Peter's confessing all this when he says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've all been waiting for. The world's been waiting for. And Jesus, he agrees with Peter implicitly because he moves on and he says, okay, now that you actually know who I am, well, don't go around telling people just yet. And you might wonder why, and then the next verses kind of they reveal that. Jesus then began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man, another reference to himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, no, no, no this will never happen. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. So Jesus affirms that he is the Messiah, the Christ, and he explains as clearly as possible that his mission as the Christ is to die. And nobody can get him off of that path. Not Peter, not even Satan. And it's in that context, Jesus is talking about his own impending death on a cross, that he issues the most intimidating, amazing, and beautiful invitation of all time. And we'll come back to that now. He says, along with the, he says to the crowd and to the people around him, and including his disciples, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So I know this is an invitation that Jesus sent out 2,000 years ago, but it goes out to each and every one of us tonight. It is just as valid, just as real tonight as it was then when he first said it. He says, If you want to follow me, if you want to be one of my disciples, that you must deny yourself and take up your cross. I mean, to, still Jesus, to distill Jesus' invitation in, in, a, in a little nutshell, he says, okay, come to me and die. That's what he says. That's his invitation. Th- this is not a typical invitation, just in, in case you would like to know. I mean, surprise, surprise, when I was at the activities fair today, I did not hear invitations like this. Right? <laughs> come sing for our cappella group and die.
0: <laughs> if anything, you hear
1: the opposite kind of invitation, right? It's come join this group because there are amazing people in this group. Or come join us and develop your passion. Or make a difference in the community or the world, right? There are reasons like that that are typically given. Or Princeton University's invitation. If I come to Princeton... Well, you'll be educated by some of the world's best faculty, surrounded by a dynamic student body, and, you know, with also billions of dollars of resources around you. Right? Like those are the types of invitations that you hear, and you're like, wow, well, you'd be a fool to pass that up. And then there's Jesus' invitation. And it's shocking. It's like, okay, come to me and die. It's such a contrast to the way that invitations are typically issued. I mean, maybe somebody needs to encourage Jesus to take a marketing class. <laughs> because this is not the kind of invitation that is going to win over the masses quickly. Jesus' mini-sermon to the crowd that gathers around him is he basically says, okay, do you know what a Roman cross is? Well, yes, you do. Well, then great. Well, go, in order to follow me, go find one of those. Pick it up and be willing to die on it. And then now you're ready to follow me. So are you, are you with me? That's his invitation to the crowd. And what he's saying is it's a call that if you're going to align yourself with me, Jesus says, then you are no longer your own. It's a call of self-denial. You no longer get to determine yourself how to live. The purpose of your life is no longer about what you think it is about or what you make of it, but it's about what he thinks about and what he wants to make. That's his invitation. And if you, you first year students, first year grad students, I mean you just went through orientation. And for those of you who are you know returning, you went through this not too long ago. And this is where Princeton orients you to, to like, okay, this is what you're going to expect here, or this is what we expect of you here. You know, these are the rules and the responsibilities of how you're to live in this community while you're here. And you can't just live however you please, I mean, to a large extent. Uh, That's just not what you can do at Princeton. And and Jesus' call to come to Him and and to die it it means that we completely reorient our lives around Him and around His purposes. And this is why the first followers of Jesus this is why they called Him Lord. I mean, we just sang to Jesus that He is Lord. I believe that You are Lord, and that that His first followers called Him that. I think of Thomas and when he met. The risen Jesus touched him and saw him and said, My Lord and my God. And by that he was saying, I'm now going to orient my life completely around you and your purposes. And as Lord, Jesus wants you to yield everything to him your possessions and finances, your relationships, your future ambitions, your emotions sexual desires your entertainment choices everything that's his call come to me and die die to self and now live for me and okay, here it is the first part of the title right the most intimidating invitation of all time right this is hard this is scary it is intimidating if if you come to me and like you mean I'm like hey I'm Chris out welcome to PCF and I say to you oh hey welcome you know, now that you're here, you need to orient your entire life around me. And I, like all, of, all, of your, all of your thoughts, all of your possessions, your hopes, your dreams, everything has to go through me now. Right? Like, I, and so, two words for you. If I ever do that, I, it I just run away. <laughs> but, but this is what Jesus is doing. Right? People are coming to him, and that's what he's telling them. And he's just sort of a, a slightly better version of a human being than us, then this is a crazy invitation. But if he really is who he says he is, or who Peter said he is, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord of all, then maybe, maybe this is the very best thing we could ever do with our lives. So, yes, it's intimidating, but maybe it's also amazing. And um, M. Scott Peck, maybe some of you have heard of him, a psychiatrist and an author, he wrote about a woman who heard Jesus' call. He heard, she heard this call to lose you know, their life for his sake. And, and she said, this is, this is a quote, there's no room for me in this. This would be my death. I don't want to live for God. I will not. I want to live for my own sake. And we get that. We understand that. There's something about that that resonates with, with us there. John Stott, I mean, you know, he's one of my favorite preachers. He was debating a professor in Canada, and he explains to the professor that if if he were to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord, then he would have to put him at the center of his life, and he would have to put himself out to the circumference. So basically the the theme of Mark's uh, gospel here, where we are tonight. And the professor rebutted with, well, I am very reluctant for this decentralization. (laughs) And we resonate with that, too, right? That's a very subtle way of saying, no way. <laughs> I don't want to put him at the center. I want to keep myself at the center. So we can sympathize with these kinds of responses. But, but, so let's move on to the second angle, which is, well, then why should we listen to Jesus? Why should we listen to him? And by listen, I mean listen, right? They're, they're not just hear what Jesus says, but actually do it. There's listening, and then there's listening, right? So why should we listen to what Jesus says? So here's verse 35 again. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And it's pretty loud and clear here. Jesus' focus here is life, right? Specifically (coughs) saving
0: your life. That's his goal. And the word used here for life is the Greek word psyche, which we you know, we get our word psychology. And it's not so much about physical
1: life, like breathing and eating and sleeping, although it includes that. It's, it's more holistic. It's about your identity, your personhood, your personality, your, your yourself. Jesus is pointing his finger at your life, your psyche, everything about you. And he says, I'm talking about the whole you. I want to save all of you. Ultimately, Jesus, he tells us that your life and my life is going to go in one of two directions. Your life will be saved, these are his words, or your life will be lost. And if you look at the first half of verse 35, he says, look, there are those, they will try to save their life, and for those people who are trying to save their life, they will actually lose it. And then the second part of the verse, he says, and then there are those who lose their life for me and for the sake of the gospel. And when they do that, they will actually save it. They will actually find it. This is confusing. I mean, let's let's just call call for what it is. It is confusing because typically trying to save your life is a good thing, right? If If we're in some sort of danger, Running away from the danger is good, or somebody swooping in to save you from the danger is good. I mean, Hollywood makes lots of monies based on that very simple principle like <laughs> Thanos, with the seven stones, and the Avengers trying to save their lives and the lives of everybody else, you know, and billions of dollars later, like, right? That, that's the story, that's the plot line. <laughs> but here, Jesus says the opposite of what we'd expect. He says that, look, if you want to save your life, then the very thing that you're trying to grasp, it will elude you. It will escape you. And it's it's confusing, or maybe the better word for it is it's just a paradox. What is Jesus picturing here for us? How do we end up living out this thing that he's describing? I'll give you two images. Here's one image. You try and save yourself through good works. Right? You, maybe, maybe you believe in God, you know he's your creator and in some way you're accountable to him, so you live your life as best as you possibly can. And if you do this, Jesus is he, he's implying that if you try to save your life by doing good, making yourself right with God, earning his approval, then you're actually going to lose your life. It doesn't work.
0: Instead, you have to give up your claims of goodness before God your claims of righteousness you have to lose that and now instead humble yourself before God and declare yourself to be
1: unworthy and entrust God's provision for you which is Jesus right you cast yourself wholly on God's grace and mercy and you put your faith in Christ and you follow him so that's one image right you, you try and save yourself through good works but here's another image Consider. You try and save yourself through good stuff. And that that word stuff is a very theological word and it means stuff. (laughs) So, what does this look like? Like, okay, you you base your identity or your happiness in something that is apart from God. Right? It sounds like this I will find real life. I will save my life. I will find real happiness and meaning if I can just experience or have X, Y, or Z. You can just fill in your own blank. And we just fill in the blank with all sorts of stuff throughout our whole life. If I can just bring honor to my family name, if I can just enjoy this kind of relationship, if I can just have a certain job or set of experiences, if I can just make a particular difference in the world, then I will find my purpose And I will have the satisfaction and the validation that I seek. And while those things, like relationships, work, making a difference, it's good stuff, and it's good stuff for you to enjoy, they cannot handle being at the center of your life. It will not save you. And that's the language that Jesus uses. And he knows that. He doesn't want that at the center. Because they will disappoint you and me eventually. You know, work will sometimes be dissatisfying or, or even lost during an economic downturn. I had many friends who lost their jobs in 2008. Or people will hurt you in relationships, and hopefully they get repaired and restored. But they disappoint you, they hurt you. There, there's no pleasure, there's no experience out there that lasts for very long. Like when you really begin to consider it, it's just most things are quite free. Health is fleeting. Money brings its own anxieties. It doesn't solve all of our problems. It often just creates more, more problems than we, than we imagine. And Jesus says, Look, even, if, like, even if your wish list could be completely satisfied, all the boxes checked off, Jesus says in verse 36, even if you gain the entire world, you get all the stuff you want, what good is it if in the process, along the way, you forfeit your own soul? Jesus says that, that you get everything you want and then at the end of life you die. You have to leave all of this stuff behind and now you stand before God and you realize my relationship with him is broken and non-existent. You've forfeited your soul. What good is it then, Jesus says, to have all that stuff in the center of your life and then that's where you end up. I mean, and Jesus, this is really bold for him to say these things. And I think you hear what he's saying. He's saying, I am the only thing that can be in the center of your life. Let me tell you, here it is. Whoever loses his life, whoever loses her life, these two words, for me. And for the gospel, we'll say that. Those two words, for me, Jesus believes he is meant to be the central purpose of our life. And this is the kind of stuff that makes Jesus way more than a religious teacher. And if he's not who he really says he is, if he's not the Messiah, if he's not the Savior, if he's not the Lord, then he's nuts. And none of us should follow him. But for the person who puts Jesus at the center of their life, who loses their life for him, who gives up claims and rights of self-determination, that's when, according to Jesus, now you actually begin to find true, authentic flourishing life. A life that is now once again reconnected to its original purpose. So we could extend Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me and die. That's the intimidating part, right? But Come to me and die in order that you might have real life. And that's the amazing and the beautiful aspect of his invitation. And I love this. It is for everyone. The word that he uses is whosoever comes to me. Right? When Princeton made its invitations back in April or whatever, right, they didn't invite everyone. I know they want to invite many more people than they can. I really I know that. But they can't. It's really limited. They can only extend invitations to so many people. Jesus extends an invitation to everybody without distinction. Anyone who comes to him on his terms, he will gladly, joyfully embrace and say, you've made it home, now follow me. And I'm looking now at the third angle, right? How do we listen to him? And I think Jesus gives us the key of how we can listen to this intimidating but yet beautiful call back in verse 31. So Anika, could you go back to verse 31? Jesus began to teach them, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus says that he must suffer. He doesn't say, he's not, he's not like predicting, like, I'm, I will suffer, or I think I'm going to suffer. He, it's like, this is a divine necessity. He says, I must do this. This is my mission and purpose. Right? This is why I've come. He came to suffer and die, ultimately. And once we see that, right? Jesus, he's inserting that in, in this invitation right before it. Once we see that, once we see a Savior who turns to us and says, I have given up my life for you. I have sacrificed myself on a cross for you you were my mission you were my purpose and then when you accept and believe that now he says you do the same to follow me you give up your life for me and you sacrifice yourself for my sake what i did now you do and if you think about it, love relationships right healthy Love relationships are never, ever one way. There has to be a mutual loss of independence. If two people entered into a friendship or a marriage and only one side says, okay, well, I'll yield to what is good for you, do what is good for you, and I'll serve you and sacrifice for you, and the other side doesn't say that, that is a dysfunctional relationship. We know that. One side does all the serving and giving, and the other side does all the ordering and the taking. That relationship will exploit and oppress and hurt the lives of both of those people. And what's so amazing about Jesus' call here is he calls us to lose our lives for his sake. But the reality is is that he first lost his life for our sake. He yielded to what was good for us. He submitted himself to our condition, to one flesh, and he died in our place on the cross so that we could have forgiveness. He served and he sacrificed for us so that we could be restored to God and have the possibility and the power of new life in him. And his, this is what somebody once said. I'm just going to read. It because it, it, it puts it so well. Once you see the Son of God loving you like that, once you are moved by that viscerally and existentially, you begin to get a strength, an assurance, a sense of your own value and distinctiveness that is not based on what you are doing or whether or not somebody loves you, whether or not you've lost weight or how much money you've got, you are now free. The old approach to identity is gone. I went to the cross, and on the cross, I lost my identity, Jesus says, so that you can have one. And a great verse of scripture, this is if you could find Galatians 2:20. That captures this so well is Galatians 2.20. Christ gave himself for me and now I give myself to him. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let me get personal just these last couple minutes. Some of you here tonight You know, you are thinking about the Christian message. And you're seriously considering it. And you're open, and you have been open to Jesus Christ. And you know that some of the things that he says are beautiful and comforting, and some of the things that he says are challenging. We heard both tonight. Keep seeking him. If that's you, keep seeking him. Keep listening to him. Keep coming back to PCF and hearing him through the psalms, through prayer, in the community, through the word. And I pray that as you do, that you will find more and more of Christ. His word for you tonight, this is you, his word for you tonight is this. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, then you will save me. Keep considering those words. And as you hear it, know that Jesus is not calling you in that way in order to ruin their life. Like, you know, some egotistical maniac of like, excellent, you know, like, <laughs> Robbie has now given his life to me. What shall I do it. Because he loves you with an extraordinary love. He has sacrificed himself for you, and it's out of that that he is calling you to trust him Not to ruin your life, but to bring you into real life. So yield your whole self to him and say, Yes, I trust you as my Savior and Lord, and now I turn over everything to you. I come to you and I die so that I can have real life and follow you. And some of you here tonight, or many of you here tonight, you've done that. You've surrendered yourself and your life to Christ to the one who has given himself for you. You, you. you can say Galatians 2.20 autobiographically, right? Jesus' word for you tonight is the same. If you want to save your life, you will lose it, but if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will save it. This is a new start. It's a new semester, it's a new start, and it is the perfect time to hear those words and once again recommit your life To following Christ. Trusting that following him means real life. Living life as you were meant to live it. You are not a fool to die to self and live for him. To live for righteousness. To live for purity in your relationships. To live for prayer. For taking precious time to serve others. For not seeking revenge when others wrong you. For honoring your parents for working with integrity and, or, and honesty. You are not a fool to live the way that Jesus calls you to live in the 10,000 ways throughout your week. It's real life. Commit yourself to him. And I, I'll say on a very personal note, these, these words, are, they, they strike me too. Um, I can remember well, right before I came to Princeton, a, a late in my senior year in high school, where my central purpose in life was to achieve things, mainly in academics and athletics, and to win people's approval. That was at the center of life. That's how I was trying to save my life. And Then I came to Princeton, and that central purpose was shattered. Right? Uh, gone were the days of all A's in class. And gone were the days of winning every race that I entered. But I truly discovered, and I mean this, I I can testify to God's goodness. I truly discovered that my central purpose all along wasn't meant to be that, ever. It was meant to be Jesus Christ. He is a good Lord, He is worth living for. His love for me is real, and I can live in confidence in His grace. And then when my life gets out of center, because I still run, (laughs) I don't take classes. But I, I still do a lot of the things that I used to do. But when my life gets out of center and I wander away from him, I keep coming back to him, telling myself, and, and many of you remind me of this, that there is nobody like him. He is where true life is found. So once again, lose your life for him and once again, follow him. So for the next many Friday nights, we're going to be asking the question, like, well, why believe? I believe in Christianity. Why, why this stuff, right? And tonight the focus was on why Jesus. And I know you heard his answer, one answer that he gives. You know, there are many answers to like why Jesus, but tonight's answer is because he gave the most intimidating, amazing, beautiful invitation of all time. That's why we consider Jesus. That's why we follow Jesus. So one more time. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this community for friends, old and new, for the sense of belonging, for joy, for being known here. But I also thank you that this is a community where God that draws near to you and calls out to you. A community that considers the person of Christ, who he is, his great love for us, and what he has done for us. I pray that you would help each of us here. I pray that you take Help each of us here take that next step tonight with him. You know each one better than we know ourselves. I pray, Lord Jesus, just as you were alive and risen, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts tonight, opening up our eyes to see you more clearly, to consider you and to follow you. Pray that you would do that good work by your spirit. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.